Hello, this is Jefferson County Sheriff Mark Petway, inviting you to join the conversation that we've started around bridging the gap to build communities that are safe and well-connected. Let's all work together to ensure that Jefferson County is a safe place for all who call it home. Um, is there anything in particular you want me to ask you about? Um, homicides. Uh, you know, what is... Uh, a solution. Uh, so you know, my history is being a violent criminal, and a, you know, it's particularly murder. Um, and then the positions that I've held as a result of my redemption. I'm just saying, just yeah. tell me. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, ask me what what I, what I think the solution to these problems are. Jarrell Jones is a Birmingham native, an author, a business owner, a nonprofit founder, a transformational speaker, and a community influencer. He is currently the executive director of a collective impact resource organization called Renew Birmingham, whose mission is to aid residents in revitalizing their own communities. Putting the neighbor back in neighborhood is the four-point strategy he invented to accomplish this. Jarrell is also a convicted violent criminal who received a pardon from the state of Alabama this past April. The work he does today is all a part of what he calls the redemptive life. Jarrell, tell me a joke. Oh, I got a good one for you. All right. So if you're American when you go into the bathroom and you're American while you're when you come out of the bathroom, what are you when you're in the bathroom? I don't know. Where. I think you're a peeing. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> All right, um, my turn. <laughs> What's the hardest thing for an alcoholic law student to do? Oh, no. What? What is it? Pass the bar. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Man, <laughs> um, you have an interesting story. Um, man, we sat on at my house one time, and what was that? that was yeah, it's been a couple around, of years, man. Uh -huh, right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. And you really laid it out for me, and it was like, man, that's a movie. That's a book. That's it's definitely a book. You man. know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, with no further ado, man. Tell us your story. Well, I, I don't think we have a whole, you know, that, that kind of time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I will I will tell you this, that it, you know, I call it, I call what I'm doing today the redemptive life because I, I can look back on what I was and what I did. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, not just one thing, but lots of things. But my story begins in a dysfunctional family like a lot of the people that I serve. You know, this is not an uncommon story. One thing that may be uncommon uh, for, for most is that my mother was the first person to put a gun in my head. So I was 17 years old. So that kind of, you know, those types of traumas at home mm -hmm. can, 
you know, give direction to your life, can really right. dictate which direction you go in. I had a lot of resentment at authority figures, period, yeah. as the only child growing up in a situation that uh, I grew up in. Um, and so when I got free, you know, from, from home, graduated high school, and, and what's interesting about that is, you know, people would look and they would think that if you were going to be a thug, then you must not be an academic. Well, mm. I was senior class president. I was, uh, wow. yeah, you who's never who. told me that yeah, 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 I was I was a nominee for who's who and, and all that stuff. I had a bag full of academic scholarship offers to school that I, I had never heard of. Yeah. William and Mary Oberlin, uh, Davidson, right? And I just thought that they were, you know, uh, if if it wasn't University of Alabama or Georgia, right. then it, you know it didn't it didn't count. Right. Know? But uh, that was just because I never got any counseling as far as college was concerned. I probably would have did well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it was, I turned to the streets. And yeah. uh, by the time I was nineteen, I got nineteen. I was hooked on crack, and uh, at twenty, I was on my way to prison for armed robbery. And then uh, I got out, got a slap on the wrist as, as a uh, wrist as a youthful offender. So what they did, I didn't go directly to prison. I went to uh, I had house arrest uh, mm-hmm. at first, and then I violated that by getting high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then they locked me up. But then uh, I only did uh, three and three years total, even though I got an escape case. Uh, while I was doing that that first sentence, mm-hmm. uh, but altogether I got out in January of uh, 1990, January of 1990, mm-hmm. and by 1992 I was committing homicide, and that's when I got a life sentence. And um, there's a lot of details around that, but it was a turning point for me. I, I think the most important thing was that I got away with the homicide, but my conscience really drove me and yeah. I call it my encounter with God you know it, it wasn't like a an apparition didn't appear or you know what didn't see a burning bush but time out, I, I want to back up just a little yeah. bit because you know I don't want to gloss over you were a bad dude <laughs> you know what I'm saying like it wasn't just a couple of little this that and the no, other bad guy. you was pimping hoes and you know all I mean yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my crime life is very colorful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I really don't like elaborating as much about the sex trafficking because that's what they call it now. Right. Uh, and I don't think I understood it right. at that time because the women really, I was just a kid. Yeah. You know, they wanted me yeah. to be a protector, to be an organizer and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And I didn't know anything about it, you know, so. Doing uh, drugs. Yeah, yeah, but I, did, I, knew, I knew drugs, about that. Yeah, and selling you know, drugs, I, I do know And I'm that. just saying, it's like, man, you've, I'm not trying to glorify it. I'm trying to show, yeah. I want people to know how far you've come. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I sold drugs, I used drugs, I beat people up, um. You know, I, I rob people. Uh, I rob people with knives. I rob people with guns. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> and I wasn't even a gang member. You know, right. I was just, I was just, you know, and, and the reason that I wasn't a gang member was because um, when I first went to prison, I would see people that claimed that they were gangs, but I was still intellectual now. I, just because I was on dope and jacking up my life, you mm-hmm. know, don't mean that I couldn't think. And I would look at right. these guys that were saying that they were an organization and, that they had these uh, these rules and but they were violating them all in prison. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. see, here's the truth about you know, let's say, folks, for example, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're gonna be, you know, black gangster disciple, then you can't be having sex with men in prison. Right, <laughs> right. 
that's a violation. That's a violation, right. But they were violated. Exactly. Right? So exactly. Like, you know, if I want to be. You're not supposed to rob and do bad You can't be your, breaking, breaking you know, in, no, breaking yeah. in folks' boxes. Yeah. And, and that's, this ain't how organization works. Right. You know, in my mind back then, I thought, man, we should be taking over the prison. Yeah. We should be, we should be you know, raising people. You know, this is what real organized crime right. looks like. You raise people to get into the system. You know what I'm saying? You, your children are still out there. You want them to become lawyers and cops and, yeah. and judges and things like that so that you can have some leverage. But these yeah. guys was looking for soups and cookies, bro. And I was yeah. like, you hurting people about soups and cookies, right? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. I, I don't want to to because min maximize. I mean, I don't want to degrade these guys because here's the thing: is that you know I learned a lot my last trip to prison Fuck about them. why. Degrade well, 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 watch this though. See, here's the thing: is that somebody reached out to me when I was that. Mm. And so, and, and they, we, what they did was they looked through my faults. They didn't mm -hmm. just say, look at this ignorant, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They didn't, they looked through my faults to get to my need. Mm. And that was a turning point for me. So when I'm talking about the systems in the, in gangs or in, in crime that, uh, that, that guys don't really even understand, mm -hmm. they're just looking to belong to something. And they'll follow instructions from some of the craziest people in the world because they want to belong. They want a family. You know, I, um, was just uh, I don't I don't know that I agree with that, but go ahead. Well, my experience is I can't argue with your experience, but mm -hmm. my experience is this: is that when I turned my life to uh, being to the light, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that selflessness was going to be my deliverance, mm -hmm. right? So I started trying to help these guys, mm -hmm. and when you st when you start to get you know, uh, I guess you call it intimate, you know, when you get real with right. one another. Um, these are the things that I discovered. These these young men did not want to be in the situation that they're in. They don't even know how they got there. And when I start explaining the dynamics, and the dynamics always come back to slavery and how that affected families and how families got families got degenerated and how the system, the governmental system affects those and so on and so forth. And why are you saying things that you that are not original with you? Just an example. One example is this. If I say uh, gangster to the average person today, a picture comes to mind, a black kid with a gun in his pants hanging down, maybe with a hoodie on, right? Even if you black, that's what comes to mind. Look at them gangsters, look at them thugs. But the first people in America that was gangsters was white people. We're not, we're not originating any of this madness. This madness was something that we copied from other people. And so, and I'm not saying that, that black people or Africans weren't capable of that. What I'm saying is that the culture of a, and for black people who came out of slavery, who came through Jim Crow, the cultures that we had to emulate were the best that quote unquote white people had to offer. So if you couldn't learn to speak like them, if you couldn't jump through the hoops of uh, the, the school system, which was designed to give you information that you could regurgitate to a standard so that they could pass you to the next class. But remember, they're giving you the information and the information ain't got nothing to do with you. The information has to do with their heroes, has to do with their history, has to do become what, what you need to do to become a good patriot and, and get a good education. People used to say this all the time, get a good education so you can go get a good job. They never taught us how to go start a business, which was what this country was based on. So these people who can't think through it, black people who couldn't think through their now, let trauma. Me, let me time out. You can't have it both ways. How in the world were they teaching us to go into these jobs when black folk couldn't have those jobs? 
that that doesn't even make sense. What I'm I, I'm feeling where you coming from, but all I'm saying here is our predicament is our fault. All right. I'm not saying that the system is not stacked against us. I'm not saying that um, uh, racism and these systems aren't real. But what I am saying is that education is the key to through all of this. All right. And so when we decide to educate ourselves on doing the right things, then I'm a I'm a be right there with you. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you that education is key, but we're not talking about the school system. That education has a it has a place, uh, but but for, like you were well, talking about history, for yeah, example. Yeah. So, I'm, but if you can't read and write, what? Right, right. No, no. You, know you got to read and write, but you got to yeah. remember there was no such thing as public schools when America was established, right? So I'm agreeing with. I'm so, I'm just simply saying. I want you to continue. I'm, I'm, no, no. I want to address this idea that it's not our that it's that it's our fault, right? I think it becomes your fault when you are intellectually or or experientially raised to the level of awareness. The system is designed to keep you unaware. This is how you can it, get. It, is well, it? let me just say this. This that's is how what, you. That's this all is I'm how, saying. Because yeah, I, I admit, yeah. I put my foot in my mouth when I said it's our fault. <laughs> but what I'm saying is the the, the system. Okay, the system. I want to be specific about the system. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, the things that are the system have to do with why the country was established in the first place. So, when, whenever you go to jail uh, for a violent crime, they have to not only prove that you did it, but that you intended to do it. So, there's they've got to have motive, means, and opportunity. Okay. So, what was the motive for coming to America in the first place? If you were a European. It was to get up on from under um, get up uh, rule. Okay, that's the, that's um, that's true. But the opportunity, what they told them was they would have the opportunity to build their own lives, and so they came over here for the opportunity to build their own lives. And in that, they were willing to murder and enslave whoever it was that was here in order to do it. Well, right. that's not something that you can teach your kids, in, you know, as history. What you have to teach your kids is that the natives were the savages. But let me ask this question. Well, let me get to this before you before you do. As you're answering, okay. just answer how that's re- even relevant. Okay, so what happens with a human being mm-hmm. is that information causes us to be able to shape our identities. Mm-hmm. If we don't have good quality information, then what you end up shaping is a twisted identity. Mm-hmm. So when you're a black kid going to school and everything about this system is designed to create uninformed, just unsuspecting, pre-programmed patriots, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Well, if you're a black kid, and, and W.B. Du Bois wrote about the duality, you know, if you're a black kid, you know you can't be white. And you know that instinctively, you know that there are no heroes for you. In here that you can emulate. Well, that creates a conflict. For me personally, my stepfather was in the military. We traveled a lot. Sometimes I would be the only black kid in my neighborhood, right? Even I'm talking about living on the base, right? I'd be the only black kid in my neighborhood. I'd go streets over to find other black people. That's how sparse it was. But I was aware 
that there was a difference between me and the other kids. And I always thought about that. Now here in Birmingham, everybody in my family grew up around black kids. Their blackness was evident. My blackness was suspect because of my exposure to white people. Now, what does that do for me when I come home? People say you talk too proper or you talk like white folks or you, you, uh, um, you dress like white folks or whatever it is. And so that messes with my esteem. Plus, I had some other issues and black folks are good at uh, putting each other down when they're kids. We call it janking. We call it cracking or whatever. So all that stuff plays a role in how I'm going to present myself to the world. If my self-esteem is jacked up, I need to find I'm going to find something to make me feel strong. For many of us, that is our ability to do violence. That is our ability to tear people. You got to be hard. This is where these phrases come from. You got to be hard. I don't love no hoes. Right? None of that stuff is real, but it's real to me because everything around me is telling me that I'm not good enough. <laughs> I don't want this to sound like excuse making because that's a mantra for me. No excuses. But information and making connections with these dots was important for me to be able to know who I am today and be able to walk in both these worlds, so to speak. That information that people don't get that they can build their identity with, the healthy identity. When you don't get it, what you end up is like a lot of my, uh, what do you call it when you're in a neighborhood cohorts a lot of my neighbors mm. a lot of my, a lot of the kids peers. that are growing up yeah mm. they're peers they're not the I, it, for me it, with me it was like i was weird to them uh mm. because i thought differently right so let me let me get time out real quick first of all i don't i, I want to again apologize for saying this our own fault um because systems are real and uh Evil is real and racism is real and people are intentional about these things. Sometimes people are intentional about inflicting the pain. Sometimes people are intentional about ignoring what's going on. However, I do think through education, we have been empowered to lift ourselves out of a lot of situations. Now, with that being said, I'm not a... I'm not disagreeing with your story as it relates to you because a lot of that story is me too. I was in a gifted program. I had to go back to the hood, cracked on, you talk funny, da, 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 da. But what I do um, bristle at, if you will, is when you or others try to say that your experience is everybody else's. These excuses apply to everybody across the board that, you know, um, it, it, we were put in a position and these poor kids, they can't get out of. No, I don't. I don't like that characterization is all. I think that what you're saying is applicable to some people. And then there are some people who 
They choose these lifestyles in spite of people like you, in spite of people uh, coming into their lives and trying to 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 correct wrongs. So that I that's, that's all true. I was getting. No, at. I think that's accurate. I mean, you know, it, nothing is across the board. People are individuals. Even black, when you say black people, that's not a monolith. You know, right, different right. people respond different ways. But in the work that I do, right, I see the same phenomenon because I'm in a particular area. So I'm mm-hmm. serving a, a specific demographic, poor people, people who are underserved, people who are underprivileged and living in a food desert, you know, people who are, have uh, schools in the city of Birmingham. Are, it's, it's long, two years ago, let me see, sort of two years ago, the numbers say that our eighth graders, 92% of them can't read on the eighth grade level when they get there. 98% can't do eighth grade math when they get there. Why is that? It's not just the school, although the school is underfunded and there's a lot of factors who that went into the underfunding of the school. Redlining is one of those since property taxes end up paying for schools when you have low property values, you have low property taxes. You can't fund the school. Schools close. You go look at Inslee right now. We've closed several schools over the years. That's all over the city of Birmingham. So you can see how to connect the dots and how people end up in the situations that they end up in. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I know that, if I know that if I'm raised with some really good parents who are able to share with me why we're in this situation and how we're struggling to get out of this situation, then okay, you know, I, it can work for you. But if you never get the understanding of how you got to where you are, the natural culture is one of survivalism. Mm. Yeah, for people who understand Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, most of those people will never get past food and shelter Mm -hmm. and they'll they'll live in that maybe some safety they'll live in that cycle and so the children that come up in that situation are not being fed all the stuff that they need and and even when they go to school if that school doesn't doesn't specifically address their trauma the the black psychology that is rife with trauma now this is something that i believe everybody has um, has some manifestation of you know some some issue with your blackness, even if you're Candace Owens, if you're if you're Herschel Walker, you still have an issue with your blackness because your blackness has been made an issue for so many years. You can't escape it. So those types of things for kids that are coming up in, in those difficult environments um, will be determinants. You know how much they understand about let me, where let they me come ask from. A, a hard question. I just think it's fair though. All right, all of these kids have these deficiencies and these issues we we acknowledge and my heart goes out to it are we supposed to interrupt learning in order to address this on a daily i think you change the way it's it doesn't make sense to me that a classroom in 1880 looks the same as a classroom in 19 or 2022 Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with black kids whose families have come through and have all these generational issues, mm-hmm. if you're going to spend eight hours a day with a person then and, and try to make them healthy, you can't treat them the same as these people who are in the environment that they created, that they enjoy, that they love. These black kids didn't create oh, this environment. I'm down with that. Yeah. That's what literally what we were talking yeah. about when you walked in. I was like... First, second, all the way through third grade, yeah. they need to read, write, and follow orders. <laughs> well, That's we, need, about we need something different. We need something different. And I, I have proposed that, um, you know, the school uh, teaches relationship dynamics, uh, that there be an actual course. Black For black kids, 
you know, black relationship dynamics as well as now, civic, civic now, responsibility. Check this out. Check this out. Kid won't stay in school to learn how to read, won't stay in school to learn how to write, want to go out there, shoot basketball, rap, and sell drugs. What, what makes you think they're going to go to that class and learn? And it's like, Oh, I'm not saying that. I think I think we've damaged enough of these generations that we just have to hope that um, that some of them make it through. Right. I'm saying that we have to change the system that the next ones are coming up in so that we don't lose as many. Even in a perfect system with a perfect education, people still going to make some decisions that are that are not good for their, their lives. But. I'm saying if we focus on helping these kids navigate the trauma as well as reading, writing, and arithmetic, then uh, we would do better. But because there's no real emphasis on helping these kids um, cope with stuff like I had to stay up all night because my mama and her boyfriend was fighting. Uh, and so he's hungry and tired when he comes to class. Uh, we didn't have we don't have lights in our home. So. How was he supposed to do his homework? You know, he they ain't got no Wi-Fi. These kids are literally dealing with that type of stuff. And I and and it you're right. You're 100 percent right. And there has to be some way to address it. We're going to have to figure something out. But all I'm saying is don't do it while my child's sitting here trying to learn. You know what I'm saying? Like my I want my child to get ahead. I don't want my child, my child's teacher to have to deal with your child's discipline issues all day. You don't have to. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm we just don't, keep it, I'm just being yeah, if, honest. But if I mean, we don't teach them, if we don't address that on the scale that it needs that, to be addressed. Let me tell you what's happening. Let me tell you what's happening. I'm continuing to take my kids out of your school system. I'm, I'm, this is you. what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best and brightest keep going over the hill. Right. Best and brightest private best and brightest parochial best and brightest charter so therefore the only thing left in the public school in the urban public school are kids who are problems and kids that are not whose parents are not wealthy enough to get away from those problems and all i'm saying here and we'll bring it up in part two when you tell us how we're going to deal with these homicides as well is Man, we got to keep in mind, in in my opinion, the problem kids can't mess it up for everybody else. That's just, I, you're going to have to explain that one to me when we come back. The 7th Annual MLK Day 5K Drum Run Birmingham will take place Saturday, January 14th, 2023, 8 a.m. at History Park in historical 4th Avenue Business District, downtown Birmingham. Your support helps fund scholarships for participating drumline students. For early bird registration and more info, go to MLKDay5KBham.com. This is another healthy and active event brought to you by the Leftover Energy Foundation, Inc. I completely forgot to ask you how can people find you on social media? A Jarrell Jones, G-E-R-R-E-L, J-O-N-E-S. You you type that name in, everything is gonna come up on all <laughs> on all social media platforms. Everything, my history, everything is gonna come up. Website, everything is gonna come up. All right, now, what is your favorite charity? In addition to your own. <laughs> um. Uh, cancer, uh, cancer society. Now, I, I, um, 
I say that because that's the one I've been, you know, I've had several people in my family that have cancer and I really want them to find a cure Mm -hmm. uh, for that. But Man, I, I, there's a whole conversation I like to have about how much money goes into cancer research, and y'all ain't found no cure yet. Anyway, but yeah, we. <laughs> but, but now, right behind that is build urban prosperity. Right? Okay, and tell it's good us about because it. We're talking about schools. It's a school that teaches reading, writing, and arithmetic at the same time, social history where black people are concerned because that's the larger you know, 99, if not 100 percent of the students, uh, student body is black. And uh, they teach them how to renovate homes while they teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. You apply the stuff that you, in, in the, the uh, uh, academic curriculum, to the building uh, that you're doing. So, they, mm-hmm. like geometry, they would, you know, incorporate the building of things with the, uh, with the math. And that, it, I'm, I like that because I still today have not used geometry the, the pythagorean <laughs> theorem right. in this week have you used yeah. the pythagorean theorem theorem this week not this week last week <laughs> <laughs> yeah but see here's the good thing about it. here's the really good thing about it. And i believe that it's the best type of system that we can have if we get the right people uh being the educators within the system we've got some good people now but um we could always use more and volunteers but after a six-year term, so it's not four years. It, it starts at, at the ninth grade, but they also give you two years of college. Now, you can do that dual enrollment if you're fast enough, you're quick enough to do that, or you can do that after the four years. But when you graduate, you get two homes with no interest loans. These are two homes that you've been working on for the last four or six years, right? And they in the community, so... Uh, they, we get to keep the kids. We've socialized them different, and they got property. They can live in one and rent the other out. Uh, they can also go get a, a working, a living wage job with one of our partners, which is um, Brasville and Gorey, you know, Arc Realty, people like that. Right out of school, you got a living wage. You got a property. You're paying into the equity instead of paying into interest, right? You've got a. Uh, you can be a landlord, which which is a. a another stream of income besides your job uh, you've got a college degree it's an associate's degree with no inch with no um uh, student uh, student loans right so you're ahead of the game you know really when you leave the school this is a way to help eliminate the wealth gap man i think first of all that's just brilliant and second of all um if you don't answer one of these questions, you're going to be making a donation to your charity. <laughs> all right. First of all, Birmingham Barons or Birmingham Squadron? Well, I'm old school, so it'd be Barons. All right. <laughs> Birmingham Legion or Birmingham Stallions? I, I, I can remember Joe Cribbs playing in the USFL when they first Again, it's old school, so it's uh, yes, the stallions. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? McWayne. All right. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? Vulcan Park. All right. Civil Rights Institute or Negro League Museum? Civil Rights Institute. Regents Park or Rickwood Field? Rickwood Field. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Botanical Gardens. 
I like them both, though. All right. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? I thought you was going to say Legion Field, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Protective. Crossplex or Legion Field? Crossplex. (laughs) Biggie or Tupac? Oh, man. Biggie Pop. Uh, you going to make a donation? You going to make a donation? Yeah, I can make a donation. All right, we going to make a donation. I love it. Now, um, let's go back to what we were talking about right before the break. Um, and you, and that being, uh, I want you to tell me your thoughts and feelings and, and, and ideas on how we can fix this school, right. you know, issue. Yeah. And then also, you know, you have some interesting thoughts on how to impact these homicides going on in the city. Right. So can you so, can you hit those for me? Well, let so to lay foundation for um, what I'm about to say because it's going to sound so radical for some people uh, is that remember that the city of Birmingham has been here. 151 years Mm -hmm. and um, you know how it began as a steel town and and all that. And it was like a, the, the, you know, the worst place for civil rights Uh, probably one of the worst places definitely for equal rights in in America Uh, is this was a terrorist state. Birmingham was a terrorist state all the way up until uh, last week. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 the efforts to um, make Birmingham better up until this point, up until right here today, mm. have resulted in this. Now, understand that when you have a company or when you have somebody, you're accountable to somebody, they're looking for a return on their investment. If they invest in you, then there's something they're looking for a return for. If you don't return that, you know, bring that return, then they're going to fire you. Well, the return on our investment in helping black people, black students, black whatever for the last 150 years. And I know that that it wasn't always that, but when they started, when we started with the churches and the nonprofit, the return on that investment is that we are top five in homicides per capita. We are top five in blighted uh, properties. We are at the bottom seven percentile in education in a state that's regularly 49 and 50. Right. So the efforts, whatever the efforts were that we've made, we've got to realize that they they haven't worked. Okay. So that being said, I'm nodding my head very <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah. That being said, we have to do something different. We can't keep doing the same thing. So in All my, right, hold on. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to go on two tracks. Okay. Which we should do. We got to we want to do something different, mm-hmm. but then when you're done, remember ain't shit going to change and then address it from that perspective as well. Okay. So um Opening ourselves up to different ideas mm-hmm. rather than continuing to fund failed ideas. Mm-hmm. And when I say failed ideas, I mean failed churches. Mm-hmm. That model is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, failed nonprofits. Mm-hmm. The competitive grant process is it's a broken process. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it can't you can't really work with that. Everybody's mm-hmm. scrambling, struggling. You know, it becomes cutthroat. So my, my suggestion about uh, schools is that neighbors get invested in volunteering at your schools. Neighbors in, in the communities, if you've got a school, everybody, particularly homeowners, should have a sense of responsibility to get into that school with that retirement time that you got and resources and make it better. 
Why would you do that if you're a homeowner? Because these children are going to affect your property values. Even if you're completely selfish, which I don't believe you need to be, you need to be selfless in this endeavor. And remember that the older people who did anything good for black people gave their lives for it. They, they were, they were completely invested in it. So it's almost like a slap in the face to say, well, I ain't going on there mess with them children. These are our children. And these things that are happening amongst these, our youth, they're not happening to us. They're happening because of us. And we've got to embrace that responsibility. When, whenever somebody says to me, this generation, I'll be like, nigga, I mean, don't worry, I do it all the okay. time. <laughs> I'll be like, they came from somewhere. They weren't created in a vacuum. Yeah. They're the result of us. And so start wearing responsibility for that. And if you're scared of your children, that means you're a coward. Right now, I know that people get shot to death, but nobody has been shot to death yet that I know of for helping a young man put his life together right? or helping a young lady put her life together. So let's get out of them, them lies and get invested in the community, bringing their volunteerism, not just to the school, but putting the neighbor back in neighborhood. We're talking about this. And we're going to, this is a good segue into violence reduction. Why do we have so many homicides? Homicides are about, or these conflicts where, where people are, are shooting one another and we'll just talk about, uh, we won't even talk about the domestic violence. We know what that's, what that's about. But when we talk about gang violence, you know, the city of Birmingham really doesn't have a gang problem. What they have is a bunch of youth that are trying to develop their own power in a system where they don't feel like they have any. Remember, Birmingham's lost 160,000 people since the 70s. We're not even the largest city. This is like people escaping from everybody wants to leave leave here um the other metrics that i mentioned are also kind of create a, a situation where you don't want want to be here so what are these kids uh what are they connected to so what we want them to do is be connected to their neighbors the reason that we call it the hood is because neighbor is de-emphasized these kids are growing up with no sense of accountability and responsibility to their neighbors, no sense of civic responsibility. If we implement something in the school, a curriculum in the school that addresses civic responsibility, relationship development in your neighborhood with your neighbors, right? It would change everything. I bought my house in the neighborhood that had the highest number of homicides in 2017. People thought that was crazy. I was living in Springville, Alabama, been out of prison four and a half years. And I felt like God said he wants you to go home with uh, with your redemptive skills. So I moved into uh, Oakland Avenue in, in Inslee, and uh, I started introducing myself to my neighbors. Now, now, mind you, none of them came to greet me. They just let me move in. I'm sure they peeped out the window and hoped that I didn't have no bad kids. But what they should have done was step one in my, my uh, template, if you, if you will, four-point template. Step one is whenever someone moves into your community, greet them and resource them immediately. This is what we do with Renew Birmingham. We want to find out who is new moving in. If you've been in this neighborhood for two years or less, I'm considering you new. I'm going to come knock on your door, bring you a gift card, bring you some garbage cans because the city doesn't, doesn't uh, provide them yet, and we're going to give you a resource guide that connects you to all of our network. So you will have yourself resourced by your neighbors. Now, if I come to you and I'm a neighbor 
and I'm saying, hey, how you doing? Here's a gift card. We just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. Here's some garbage cans uh, so that you don't have to throw your trash in the alley. Here's my phone number. We've got a neighborhood association meeting on this day, and we're going to be doing, a, doing a, an event over here, a dinner event. Please come, bring the kids, right? Well, that's a whole different atmosphere that you've created and an opportunity. People might not respond positively to it, but most people are going to. You've got an opportunity now to have influence in that person's life. But if you just sit there and watch from your window behind your burglar bars, right, then you have no influence. And they start parking their cars in the front yard, driving your property values down. You mad, but you could have done something about it by creating that relationship. When people are in a community where there's close bonded relationships and you have these two things, community cohesion it's not, not hard. I want to say it slow so people get it. Community cohesion, that is clo- people are close, they got each other's back, will produce this other one, collective efficacy. You want to see healthy, prospering neighborhoods, then you've got to be a good neighbor. That's going to call you to uh, have communication with the people that you live around. You want to see homicides drop? Bind the neighborhood together through relationship. Understand this. Nobody's coming to save you. The police can't save you. The city government can't save you. They're responsible for city services. They're not responsible for your neighborhood atmosphere. The people that live in the neighborhood are responsible for whatever the atmosphere is. And because we don't generally want that responsibility, we're even ending up having to sit back and watch these homicides happen. I won't do it. And anybody that's in my neighborhood will tell you, right, we're going to be connected to one another. All right. Now. I patiently, (laughs) this one time and one time only, allowed the dream to be presented. All right? Now, it ain't happening. It ain't going to happen. So what now? Well, it is going to happen. It's not happening. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) It's on, on, on what level? Well, how many people have you impacted? Oh, I, I hate saying a number. Sure, but no, I'm the, talking about in the neighborhood with the, oh, everybody, how many everybody. how many schools are yeah. changed? How many how many homicides have we stopped? All that kind of stuff. I, I can't tell you. You can't know how many homicides you talk stop. But let me say this about. All right. Let me give, no, you, let me give you this no, as a metric. No, let me give you no, this as a metric. I don't want the metric because the whole point I'm making is. You know, we can hope for these things and we can talk about, yes, you are one billion percent right. That is how it should be. Meanwhile, there's a real 18 year old mom that ain't trying to hear shit you talking about. All right. And and my point is, I want to hear those, those types of things. But y'all don't want to talk about what's really going on and what's really not happening right now. And so that goes back to your earlier comment or point. These motherfuckers just got to die off. <laughs> it's got to run its well, course. I said that. I you know said what I'm that. saying? But, I, but like, I know, but my point is, man, it's like, all right, we know what community can do. Yeah, it's not going to. It's not going to happen instantly, bro. It, I mean, it's 150 years of brokenness. Right. right? But my point, but, but that's why I said I patiently allowed the dream to be told. But in fairness, let's talk about the reality of right now. Yeah, the reality of right now is. How are you going to stop 
homicides right now. So so let them kill I, each it, other off. No, let me let me say this about what I think you're trying to say. If it, it, I, you want to see things happen overnight. Right today, no, no, today, no, 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 like no, 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 okay. no, no, So I'm trying to understand how you know. I, I, I really feel like I shouldn't have to explain. This what is a I, long here's time what I, coming. Here's what I'm saying, okay. Jarrell. Seriously, all right. You, I personally don't believe. I don't believe in one Pied Piper with an awesome idea. Piping through Birmingham, changing it. I, I, well, I've been I've been here even, too long. I didn't no, see too many people try. Uh-uh. I didn't see I didn't see Jesus too many tried try. it. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not talking about me being a miracle worker in the, in that context. I believe this though. I know that my impact is pervasive. You know, one thing. Of course it is, well, but it's all listen, I'm saying here started, is, bro. We're just getting started. This is you're at the ground level. Okay, you know, I would so love to see first before. So just say you're not willing to talk about now. All you want to talk about is what can be fair. Mm, I think talking about now, I will talk about now. I don't have a problem with that. But talking about now in the context of this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. I think that one of the problems that we have. No, the, I'm saying that's what you're doing. No, I'm saying that's what all of y'all do. This is the problem. And no. y'all find different words and different ways to articulate the problem. Uh-uh. Then you find different words and different ways to articulate the solutions. Meanwhile, nothing real ever happens. Okay, so what I did was I moved, like I said, I moved into the neighborhood that had the highest number of homicides. I started to employ this template. Immerse, resource, revive. I'm sorry. Immerse, resource, revive. Remember, I said nobody's coming to save you, right? The people in the neighborhoods have to save themselves. There's not a a program that... I get you, man. I get you. So you, what What I have to work on today is impacting people so that tomorrow we don't have to deal with the same stuff. And that's with anything. You got to start somewhere using Jesus as a model. God comes down and says, hey, this is what it is. And most people ain't going to get it. I feel like most people ain't going to get it. That's why I introduced it the way I did. Because, listen, this is a whole new idea. And it puts the responsibility of changing things not on government but on you. If you live here. You need to be making a contribution to change instead of waiting on somebody to come do something. The fact that I have to come with this idea is indication of how sick the residents are in the city of Birmingham who won't make any contribution to the health and prosperity of the city, of the people in it. Well, I'm going to just tell you, I'm praying for you. I want to help you how I can. I want you to prove me wrong. Uh, I want everybody to prove me wrong. I want to be as wrong as the day is long. But I'm looking at data. I'm looking at numbers. So am I. And, you know, you ain't even a blip. I know you personally. I've watched your work. I know how sincere committed you are i know how how you don't give a fuck what nobody's (laughs) saying you're gonna do what you do you've you've brought programs uh uh uh, um what events to fruition that i didn't think it happened so i'm telling you (laughs) you the motherfucker don't get it twisted but you're not a blip on the radar not today you know what i'm saying not today and so that's why i keep saying 
I want to hear the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also want to hear what people can do now. And right now, there are no answers to that. There are no answers to that, and that's heartbreaking. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I feel like oh you know, man, the, come on. I'm serious. I'm like, hey, so okay, so when, let me tell you what. One. Let me tell you why I come from this perspective. No, 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 I'm no, 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 thing. no, no. One thing. Hell no. First, you gonna tell me where I'm wrong because you're trying you're to wrong. change. Something. You're wrong because your paradigm, the paradigm you've got, is like an instantaneous thing. There's something. Poof. What can you do today to change? Nothing. What you can do is get involved in the process of change. There is no such thing. It's okay. like it's like listen, when you get. Listen, let me no, just say this. No, let like me when clarify. You get saved, you're not understanding okay. what I'm saying. I'm saying not only is your program not. I'm saying the program won't work because of the parents. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that it take as far as every organization that I've ever worked with. From schools to mentoring to it, if the parent they have to is not on board, right. it's all for naught. Yeah, I, I agree. You need to get parents on board. I don't, I don't uh, not want to get parents on board. Our program is designed to get pro- parents on board. And all I'm saying is that in our poor communities, in our poor communities, right, Big Mama and, and, and Dr. Williams, and three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten teachers, and a pastor, and a secretary—they don't live in our community no more. Right. Yeah, we have. So to that's all I'm saying so I is was- I think we have got, in all due respect to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. While we work on these long-term projects and programs. We got to do something right now. Well, maybe that's why I'm misunderstanding. Okay, so let me tell you what we're doing right now, right? So Immerse Resource Revive. I leased an office in the center on Avenue F, in the center of our, I guess what you call the epicenter of our service area. Not you, baby boy, we. What I'm saying is we. What I'm saying is that you you, you are a Moses. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) But man, you got to have some help. Yeah, you yeah, know what I'm saying. We gonna get it though. We gonna get the help. Yeah, man. yeah I, I, see, this is what I've been working on for the last six years. Momentum. I understood this. People want to see results. So my neighborhood was my first result. You go to my street right now. But you, you listen proven. to me. Just listen to me. I, I know, but I've got to spread that, right? So this was my model. I, I, I couldn't remember when I first went into city city hall. I hear you. You don't think I hear you? I don't know, I man. Know I'm you. telling this you. This is your model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is your model. And it's going to take time not only to grow that model, but for this model to finish doing what it does. But what I'm saying and all I'm saying is that I don't see 5, 6, 7, 20, 99 Jarrells out here. That's that that's what I'm saying. And 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 but, uh, and I have heard I've heard you. I've heard 20 yous. I've heard, <laughs> heard older yous. I've heard younger yous. And none of yous have made any significant impact. Now, while we still support yous, we got to support you because one thing that, that like even the mayor and some other people have taught me to look, you know, if, even if we throw away a hundred dollars, we got to throw it away. 
Yeah. All right. Even if it takes ten thousand per child to save, we gotta raise it. We gotta spend it, and we gotta hope. Okay. Okay. I don't like that idea. I think it's stupid. But that's how y'all want to do it. That's what we gonna do. But we can't put all of our eggs in a future basket. There are people. I'm scared today. I don't think you can help but to put your eggs in a future basket when you're living in a crisis. Your crisis is, is today. I mean, you got to think about it in terms of the civil rights movement, right? I mean, 1955, uh, Martin Luther King ain't trying to be uh, the head of a civil rights movement, leader in the civil, civil rights movement. 1954, he, you know, it was not until uh, they basically force him into glory. Matter of fact, there's a book written about him, uh, about him not really wanting to be a part of this. But, that process took time. He was a seed. There were other people that, that fed on that fruit and grew up, and, and they did what they did. Of course, you know, um, I think that this is a much harder thing to do to get uh, the culture to change because we've got so many things that are being poured into our children's mind, poured into our adults' minds, that just is not useful for, um, for growing healthy cultures. So my objective is not in, uh, to change the world but to impact the people that I come into contact with. You know, I have to be satisfied with that because I'm, if God couldn't do it, then I can't expect myself to do it. But those people are important. They're important, one, because of what I'm going to share with you with my history, what I've already shared with you. That cop impacted one person, and this one person has been able to impact thousands. Right. So you don't know which one of these kids or which one of these uh, people that you're dealing with are going to be that person that impacts a thousand. You're hoping, you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you know, uh, hopefully there'll be a uh, an expected outcome. Can you come back tomorrow? I can. Check this no, out. No, I can't. I'm going to or, Miami tomorrow. All right, or next week or yeah, something. Check this out. I'm going to send you this and then we're going to chop it up again because we have a lot of unfinished yeah. Yeah, yeah, little yeah. parts of this, and I want to bring some some more uh, form to it because what I don't want to do is let you get away without telling the rest of your story, for sure. one. Sure. And then number two, I don't want – the opportunity to leave to be sure you've made sure you get to me right, what, right, right, what right. I'm not listening or not, I'm not hearing right now. Fair? I can appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. At Alabama Power, there's nothing more important to us than our customers and the communities we serve. Alabama Power is more than your reliable source of electricity. We're committed to building the future of energy and providing innovative solutions to our customers. Alabama Power offers energy efficiency tips to help lower your bills, and the company supports agencies that offer bill assistance. Alabama Power initiates and supports efforts to grow the economy and elevate the state of Alabama. And yes, we are also your reliable source of electricity. Alabama Power is for a better Birmingham and a better Alabama. Yup, yup. Can I say something before I mute myself? Absolutely. This this can be the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So, I'm sure you're both familiar with the film Menace to Menace to Society, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the interrogation scene. 
where he you looks. Know you fucked up. Yeah, where he look, where he looks at him and says, "You see, you know, you, you know, you, you just fucked, fucked up." up. <laughs> so I, but when I asked you, when I asked you if um if if I could be a guest for the end of season two, and you said yes. In my head, I said, you, you know, know you just fucked up because <laughs> now I'm going to want to talk all the time. And then my, I'm like, man, because sometimes folks be boring the shit out of me. But when I saw on the schedule that Jarrell was coming back, I was like, well, maybe he didn't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I am literally the most interesting man in Birmingham. <laughs> and we are back. Now. I had a chance, you know, when the, the show wrapped, I told you I wanted to go back and listen and and have you back. I want to do two things. Part one, we never got to the part about that white officer. I want you to finish telling you guys' relationship story. Right? Absolutely. Then we're going to take a little break. And we'll come back and we'll pick up on the conversation where it left off. Now, before we go, I want to say this. In listening to the last podcast, and you correct me if I'm wrong, what I think I missed was, hey, this is what I'm doing in my corner of the world. This isn't what I'm doing to save the world. This is what I'm doing in my corner of the world. And I think I missed that trying to to put it in context of how could it help everybody, right? right? So I just want you I want you to finish your story and then I want you to finish your project, your contribution, right. what you're doing in your corner. So let me say this about the last part of what you said. Okay. That how can it help the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do. Right, 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 right. But what, we, what we're doing now is a pilot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So in my corner of the world, you're exactly right. I've got a four-neighborhood corner of the world, mm-hmm. and we're going to see if what um, I'm talking about makes any difference. It will make a difference. I believe so. I know you. <laughs> I know the work you've already done. You've already made a difference. And the work you do is going to continue to make a difference. I believe that. Now, we can fuss and fight about how many people, but I have no doubt in my mind because I know what I've seen. But but people are missing out on a really cool story with you and that officer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so uh, remember, I'm from Birmingham. So yeah. don't you know? But but it's, but my life is going to move to different places, mm-hmm. right? So when I started getting into crime, it was to Florida, armed mm-hmm. robbery, escape, uh, get out of prison, go to Georgia in mm-hmm. Augusta, mess up some stuff there, and uh, come to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I came to Atlanta. Um, uh, did all right for a little while, but I'm still a criminal. At this point, and I think I shared the last time that, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm three strikes and out of the game. I'm young, I'm black, I'm convicted. I, you know, I don't I don't really believe that there's anything else I can do. Young mind, immature, just not very creative. I wear all that. 
So what I did was I went out to Texas with some ladies and came back. And, I, you know, I always have difficulty talking about it because I, there's so much sensitivity that uh, sex trafficking is due. Mm-hmm. It's due that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like I said before, the women really enlisted me. Yeah. Which is a part of, you know, of the story that a lot of people don't know. You right. Because there's there's kidnapping and then there's, hey, choose you. Hey, you, you know? exactly. So, so we did that. And um, um, but I had a dope habit. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, <laughs> I try to sell dope. Monkey can't sell no bananas. Right. But not for real. Right. right. You know, so. Right. Yeah. And um so anyway, I, I, I get I'm doing a lot of stuff in the neighborhood. It's College Park, Georgia now, where I'm at. One of the worst neighborhoods in 1990 in the city of Atlanta, South Atlanta. And I've developed a little reputation for robbing people and and uh, selling drugs and using drugs. And it was it was a mess. It was a mess. And I had these women, these two women uh, that I was involved with. And one day. Um, I don't know if it was one of the neighbors or if it was one of the girls, one of the ladies themselves. Uh, I was throwing a tantrum. Now, I never got physical with him, but I was emotionally and verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. And so uh, somebody called the police, came to the house, white officer, black officer. Um, I clown. You know, I'm, I'm on some NWA, some F the police. You know? mm. So they tell me, they take me to jail. The white guy takes me to jail. Takes me to jail. The ladies come get me out the next day. Well, I'm back on the street selling drugs so I can use some drugs. I got them out. Police pulls up behind me, same officer that arrested me. Put your hands on the car. Put my hands on the car. Pat me down. I'm dirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I stay dirty. Right. So he noticed I'm dirty, but he don't say nothing. Starts talking to me about Jesus and putting my life together. And I'm like, okay, so now you got to remember this time I'm 23 years old. I just spent three years in prison, and I think that I'm a some type of gangster, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so uh, when he approaches me, my first thought, prison thought, it's a prison thought. My first thought is a prison thought. Mm-hmm. This cat gay. He trying to, yeah, he, he trying to put down on Mr. White Police. Why is he, white police don't mess with black dudes. <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. sit down here and, you know, we're going to commiserate you, going to help me. Uh, you know, white that's cat from. Wow, that yeah. that's where your mind yeah. went. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, he kept on doing it, though. He pat me down and, right. and uh, I listen, I listen, I look around, I look, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know the Jesus thing. Now, Aside, as an aside, I came up, my folks over here on Inslee, in Inslee, Pratt City, they went to church every Sunday, my great-grandmama, grandmama, they was ushers and all that stuff. And I saw the white Jesus on the wall at their home, and I saw the big Bible that nobody ever read, and but you wrote mm-hmm. names in it, and, and when somebody got married or when somebody died or something like that, but... Uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, preachers were crooks. Right. <laughs> you know, they were just crooks that we allowed uh, to do this because if you look in our neighborhoods, even to this day, you look in our neighborhoods, the poorer the neighborhood, the more churches there are. Yeah. See, where's the lie, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's, 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 there's something to that correlation. And even as a young person, I watched my folks who were poor and, and, you know, not of any fault of their own, ignorant and backwards and and just didn't, you know, uh, develop as rapidly or as well as some other people uh, might have. And that's not just about comparison. It's just, you know, they came from where they came from. They did what they did. And uh, it was not good. Mm. And so their lives weren't changing. You know, they they go to church on Sunday morning. 
bootlegger house Sunday night, right? So in right. my little mind, let's just skip the church mm-hmm. and go to the bootlegger house, right? Because right. that's what we're going to do anyway. Right. Uh, so I didn't really have this this uh, a good quality, clear concept of Jesus and understanding of, of religion at all. In fact, the understanding that I had was religion was the cause of all the problems in the world. I had come to the conclusion that people used religion to take people's land, to enslave them, to manipulate them, and make them feel good about it. You know, some God uh, in heaven was going to give you some blessings. It sounded a lot like Santa Claus to me, mm-hmm. right? So uh, white man going to come down out of the sky, bring you some toys on Christmas. White man going to come down out of the sky, bring you some joy after you, you know. Yeah. So so anyway, man, I, I, I laugh at it today, but this is what I believe. You couldn't tell right. me anything about that stuff. So this white man tell me about Jesus and put my life together. Uh, I wasn't really going for it. But he did this day after day sometimes. It might be skipped three days, and then he'd be back. It was like he was looking for me. Mm-hmm. So months passed, and now what's happening is because everybody knows I'm a bad guy, I'm talking to the police every few days. That can't last long in, in my neighborhood, in, in, in College Park. That can't last. God be wrote. You know, I don't know if anybody knows anything about it. It's, it's been gentrified now, but no, you can be talking to police every day, and that's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to leave. So finally, I took him up. I said, hey, man, uh, I need to get out of here. So, mm-hmm. you know, he bought me a bus ticket to Birmingham. And I came here, hadn't lived in Birmingham in 15 years, since 1977. Went to Pratt School in the fifth grade. From there, it was all basically military bases and spending my summer vacations and Christmas vacations here. So when I get to Birmingham, I, I go stay with my great-grandmother. She has a husband. Husband's a serial pedophile and rapist. Uh, but they're like 78 years old, 78, 79 years old. And so this has been going on for years and years and years. I didn't even really know how deep it was. I just knew that I didn't like dude, didn't like him near me, so on and so forth. Um, and so we had conflicts while I stayed there. I love my great grandmother, but I ain't care for her husband too much. Now he, to be clear, he was not my great grandfather for those who would be triggered, right? He, he was not, uh, a healthy man. He was not, uh, you know, a model to follow. Anyway, uh, point is that we had a conflict. I stabbed him. So he died from the stab. Stabbed him twice. He died. I turned myself in. But this is what happened. I got away with the homicide. But I remember that police officer. And now I'm looking at myself. And if I had shot him, it probably would have felt different. But because I stabbed him, it was really visceral for me. Watching him bleed out, listening to him gurgle, I was traumatized instantly. And so I hitchhiked all the way back to Atlanta, found that police officer, called him, and said, I got a body in Birmingham. <coughs> so he calls Birmingham. A couple of detectives have been assigned to the case. Detectives, uh, can I say their names? I don't, I don't Yeah, I think they're Let's not. Let's <laughs> not. Let's not. <laughs> I was going to turn this shit I, off. I'm like, usually, usually I'm like, hey, nothing. I'm like, eh, I'm telling me. <laughs> well, anyway, what, what happened, though, was that uh, he called Birmingham, that, that officer. His name is his name is Nationals. It's Dana, Dana Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called, and they weren't looking for me. Like I said, I got away with no fingerprints, no witnesses, there were none of that. If I don't open my mouth, then I get away. But you got to understand what was happening to me, and I don't want people to miss this point. I think a lot of our young people, like uh, the sheriff just told me today, a 10-year-old shot his mother to death without uh, uh, because she didn't buy him a toy. right? But that 10-year-old has changed forever, and instantly. I promise you, he has changed forever. 
I was changed forever and was willing to go do whatever it is I needed to do to stop being who I was. Strung out, ignorant, backwards, violent, all that stuff. None of that stuff was many things to me about being, you know, having and, and yeah, I was trash. So I turn myself in. He calls up Birmingham. They're not looking for me. I give them details. They come get me. Uh, for the next 20 years, I go get a life sentence. He testifies for in my trial. He comes to my parole hearings. He goes, he comes to visit me, treats me like a brother yeah. for the next 20 years. So now I start reading the, cause he's Christian, right? So this is kind of like a segue, you know, for me to start, well, what does this guy believe? And why would this be happening? Why is he sticking with me? So I started, I started studying. I started studying the Bible, started studying Greek and Hebrew because I immediately understood that, you can't understand this book without understanding its origins. I was a big language fan. I was a pretty bright kid anyway. So this became interesting to me for the next 20 years. I studied. I went to seminary school. Uh, he, he stayed with me. Then I get out of prison, which is a whole nother thing with another conf a confederate son, a, a white, another white guy here. Um, but uh, when I got out of prison, I couldn't get a job. Um, uh, you know, I didn't have a whole bunch of family support when I was in. When I got out, I was at a halfway house. I was living in Tuscaloosa, picking, pulling weeds out of folks' yards with my hands. They have nothing, man. Mm -hmm. You know, my mama, you know, she was extremely dysfunctional. Both my dads had died, and, um, you know, I'm just out there. So this guy uh, buys me lawn care equipment and tells me to go start a business. Calls me back to Atlanta, says, hey, come here, I got something for you. I, I ride over to Atlanta. He buy, gives me a trailer, takes me to Home Depot, buys me lawn care equipment. I come back to Birmingham, start a lawn care service, enroll at UAB, stay on the dean's list, get me an academic, partial academic scholarship, double major psychology, African-American studies. Then um, I uh, ended up, uh, they gave me a shot at a job at uh, the foundry because my pastor knew Micah Andrews, who was the CEO. They hired me as a um, warehouse worker part-time. So I'm driving a truck that gets 15 miles a gallon. I'm living in Springville, driving all the way to Bessemer, basically to put gas in that truck. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but it gave me, you know, it put me on the grid, you yeah. know, so to speak. And so I, I, 11 months later, it was two promotions, became a full-time counselor. Then I went into violence reduction. Now, the whole time, me and this, this police officer, are, you know, we developed this brotherhood. Now, I didn't know how deep it was with him, but right now, bro, I I got keys to the condo in, in on the lake with the boat, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, and, and key, anytime I get ready, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and, and I, I say that, uh, you know, not to brag or anything like that, but to say, I mean, how many black murderers and robbers do you know got that kind of relationship with a white police officer? Now, he's not a police officer anymore. He sells, sells um, um, law enforcement equipment. But, man, we're, you know, we're best friends. And, uh, you know, I take a bullet for him. Man, you got to go back <laughs> to how you got out, though. Yeah. Okay. So now this is another story. All right. So the things that I'm talking about with our program, the mm -hmm. things that I'm trying to do, I learned to do in prison. People are the most important thing in the world. That being the case, relationships are the most, the greatest asset that you can have. And so there's a skill. There's communication. Communication is mostly listening. I didn't know that. I thought communication was talking. <laughs> right? So 75% of communication is listening. It's not just about putting words out there. It's about being able to understand what people are not saying, what they don't have words for. So there's a whole uh, understanding of body language and nonverbal, so on and so forth. Um, 
learn that, learn how to, um, as I discovered what was wrong with me mentally, mental health right here. I'm an advocate for, mm. for therapy, right? I wouldn't have known. I just, I just advocated for mental health. Yesterday. Man, listen, <laughs> I would not have known that yeah. I needed therapy until right. I went to prison and realized that I'm doing these self-help programs. I said, that's me. I'm reading a book. Yeah. And, and it's pointing out stuff, antisocial personality disorder. It's pointing out, you know, uh, depression. Uh, just, I mean, they got different words for different right. stuff. But I'm like, this is me. They tell the and so uh, I became like this, uh, you know, minor psychologist. You go to prison right now, you say Fernando Jones. That's my, my first name. Fernando Jones? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Dr. Jones. They call me Dr. Jones. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I um, started mentoring guys. Okay, so this came out of the study of the Bible. When I started realizing that the, the missing element in Christianity was discipleship. Relation, discipleship is a relationship. It's not you come to Bible study on Wednesday, uh, you watch this video. That's not what it is relationships, close bonded relationships where a brand new Christian who's called a babe can imitate somebody who's elder. It's Matthew 18 explains it clearly. We just don't get it. We just don't see it because a lot of times people are not telling us what to see. And that's how most of us live. We want somebody to tell us what to see. That's not good. We, we have very few people who are critical thinkers, <clears throat> who have original thoughts, Part of that is because we've been given our language. It's been, you know, we, they give us the definitions. They tell us what the value is, and we just get involved in that system. They, people right now tell you how much your money is worth. They tell you how much your car is worth. They tell you how much you do not determine any of these definitions. You can carve out some places, in, but the niche is going to be inside the system for the most part. So um, learning all that uh, really helped me to understand how to develop community in prison. So you take the worst guys, rapists, murderers, robbers, uh, drug dealers, and we put them in a dormitory and we develop a system to help them understand how to relate to one another. We use the word relate a lot. When I get... Um, when now, I, let me no, interject. No, 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 no. Hold on. Let okay, me interject one quick thing. Um, at this time when you're doing that, this, right. this stuff, yeah. you still think you're going to be in prison for the rest Forever. of your life. Forever. Okay. I just, been, I just want to put that perspective there that you're doing all of this, knowing not that. thinking. Let me, let me, let me get out of here. No. You literally were changed. I've I read this book called. Uh, it's written by Viktor Frankl, Auschwitz survivor, mm. and it's called uh, "Man's Search for Meaning." Changed my life. Thin book. But he talked about how he survived Auschwitz. Now, I've visited Dachau in Germany. Uh, it's a concentration camp. And it's horrible, right? I mean, even now, going there and looking and thinking about what they did is horrible. So this book, he talked about how you serve people to give yourself purpose. Now, these are my words. He served the people around, helped them die. Many of them was just helping them die in comfort with somebody there with him. But he made that his purpose. He went from, from prisoner to prisoner to prisoner. So when I read the book, I said, you know what? This is, this is a Jesus model. Now, he's a, he's a Jew, right? Mm -hmm. He's a, you know, Israelite, sure. right? But this principle is human. This is about human beings. Human beings' purposes 
are in each other. So I started discipling uh, guys with the things that I was finding out. And, you know, I wanted to help them get out of prison. Now, like we said before, I was going to, I got a life sentence. I've been denied parole four or five times, five times ultimately before I was, I was released. And there was no intention to let me go. The DA protest my parole. The state's attorney general protest my parole. Victims of crime and leniency protest my parole. The family's the only people that didn't protest my parole, right? Mm-hmm. Because they really understood the situation. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm not going anywhere. I've been denied, denied, denied. I don't mind. I've settled. Now my purpose is here and I'm good with it. And that's what allowed me to throw myself completely in my present state. And that's what people need to do today. If I, when I encourage people, look, throw yourself completely into whatever the good that that you're doing, throw yourself completely in. It'll open up doors. This is the door that opened up for me. So as I'm mentoring, this white guy is watching me now. Now he's from Holman and uh, we're living in a structured dorm called a faith dorm. And I think I shared about that before, but now he's watching me doing this. He says, Hey bro, I've been watching you. He didn't say, bro. He said, Hey dude, mm-hmm. I've been watching you and I won't know what type game you running. So this guy, he's not in the program. He's just bed space from Holman. Right. So I, I say, Hey man, look, I'm, I'm teaching Bible, man. All this is in the Bible. He says, my brother's a deacon. My, my, my brother-in-law's a pastor. I ain't never heard nothing like that. I said, well, come on, man. I started mentoring him, started discipling him. Broke down, cried, man, fell out. It was like in my cell. I I thought maybe he was having an issue. Mm -hmm. But uh, he said, man, my brother told me that I was going to be brought back to Christ by a black man. Now, remember, he's Aryan Brotherhood, right? Right. So uh, I said, well, um, that's cool. He said, well, I want you to meet my brother. So he brings his family out on the visitation yard, his mom, and and uh, we had a, what they call a family day. So he brought his mom and his brother out. His brother laid eyes on me and immediately said, you're the guy I saw in my vision five years ago. I have forgotten about it. Now, to understand how significant that is, I wore glasses that were about a half inch thick because I was born legally blind. In prison, they won't let you wear contact lenses. So... I thought when he said that, well, if you saw me five years ago in a vision, well, you couldn't miss me now. So I really felt like, okay, mm-hmm. he ain't had no reason to tell no lie. God has got me in the place that I need to be. I'm good with it. Well, that relationship developed. I'm kind of like Apostle Paul at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm writing letters from prison and and uh, they're supporting me. They answer the phone. They send me money. Treat me like family. Then one day he says, uh, God wants me to help you get out of prison. Yeah. Now, remember, I've been denied four times. Right. right? You know, uh, when he says that, I get denied again, right, fifth time. He says, don't worry about that. that it, it wasn't time yet, but God's going to get you out of prison. Well, what I don't know is his family lawyer is a former state senator, right? So, so yeah, talk about white privilege a little bit, right? You know, so anyway. And God. And amen. Yeah, amen. Because <laughs> God to use whatever. Yeah, you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So the, the jawbone of an ass if you need to. That's right. So uh, at any rate, he did, man. He made a phone call, and I don't know what happened on the back end. What I do know is when I went up for parole the sixth time, they let me go, and they talked to my family and, and people like they were my family and people. Parole board for the first time. They used to say stuff like, did he tell you what he did? Do y'all know how bad he is? You know, but now they were like, do you know he's done over 20 years? Right? You know, yeah. I was like, what? So that's, that's cool enough, right? I get out of prison. October uh, 29th, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary, the pardon. They got a pardon this year. But it would be cool enough if he just 
you know, got me out of prison. Yeah. I told you, I went to that halfway house. I told you that uh, the police officer uh, started me, helped me start a business. Mm-hmm. What I didn't tell you was that this guy, after I was out of prison for a few months, decided that or believed that God told him to move me into his home. Now, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> this remember. is Springville, Alabama. Yep. Population 3,500, 3,200 of them related. Right. And uh, and, you know, it's it's all the black people live in one little spot yep. across the tracks. And, and uh, you know, but they weren't like overtly racist. Matter of fact, that they didn't even they weren't even aware of any biases. They just love Jesus. Yeah. Right. So dude moves me into his home. But he's got this pretty little wife. Talk about the test. It's pretty little wife. And uh, it's just me and them on the mountain. Uh, Miracle Hills Road. Mm. That's that. That was the address. Four nine Miracle Hills Road. <laughs> wow. You're crazy. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so, so uh, man, listen. It was beautiful. I get up every morning. Go out get my coffee. I'm on the deck. It's a. It's hummingbirds. It's. It's anytime somebody you hear gunshot has been somebody's bagged a deer. Yeah. It, was, it was. It was awesome. But now, who's gonna tell their wife? Anybody. Yeah. Hey, we're going to move this big old black murderer in. <laughs> right. Uh, he's been in prison 20 years, baby, but uh, we're going to move him in and give him the run of the place. Wasn't no curfew. Wasn't no, you won't use the car. He had a Corvette, had a motorcycle. Had, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what? I couldn't believe it, right? I didn't mess it up either. Didn't do, didn't do none of that crazy stuff I would have thought to do years ago. Right. I believe that God was making it was, was making it clear to me that he was directing my steps. And so everything since then has been about serving people, following that path. It doesn't look like the Christianity that I grew up with. I don't want to, mm. <laughs> honestly, right? But um, it definitely uh, has to do with helping people understand how to build community, develop the relationships. And when it comes to uh, eliminating violence and blight, it has to be something that's done by a cooperative, a people in the community. Go ahead. <laughs> I want you all to know how great this guy is, how much I believe his steps are ordered, so when we fuss and go back and forth, <laughs> it's in love because he has a hell of a story. Now, when we come back, we're going to tell you what this man who has been through so much and who has so much on him and in him that he wants to do to fulfill his purpose. My brother. Amen. Citizens Trust Bank, in service to the community since 1921. Here at Citizens Trust Bank, we've built ourselves on your trust. Trust that comes from stability, solidarity, and being a good community partner. We're proud to serve the Magic City by helping you turn your financial goals into reality. Whether it's saving for your child's education, to buying that dream home or vehicle, to starting or building your business, CTB has been there and will continue to be here to be a trusted advisor for all of life's milestones. We welcome the opportunity to earn your business and to serve you in the best capacity possible. Visit us online at ctbconnect.com or visit us at our location at 1700 3rd Avenue North. We are Citizens Trust Bank. The bank that has been here is currently here and will continue to be here to serve the community. Now, like I said, um, I wanted to go back and look at, I mean, listen to the podcast and just in 
checking myself. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, hold on, bro. Back up, back up, <laughs> back up. And so I want not to interrupt you and, and challenge, but understand, like, no, nah, you, yes, you want to scale it. Yeah. Yes, you want it to touch everybody eventually. But right now, you know, you're focused on making, the, you know, your corner of the world better. And I want to just focus on that. So taking who you are in the consideration, tell us what you're doing. So Renew Birmingham is a collective impact model. It's a, a what we call, um, the strategy is to pull organizations together that are already doing work in specific areas. The areas that we want to serve are housing, which is an absolute necessity in underserved communities. We're talking about fair housing. We're talking about putting people in homes versus rental. We have a high rental volume. And the higher your rental volume, there's a correlation between that and crime and blight and so on and so forth. So get people owning homes. Um, the other things are uh, adult education and workforce development. Why? Because you want people to move up the scale if they can, higher levels of income. Because what we're talking about with uh, with uh, underserved communities is generational poverty that's a lot of times based on generational ignorance. Things are not being passed down. So we want to provide education where workforce development is concerned and, and adult education to give people a, a better foot. Then you have uh, jobs and transportation. Jobs and mobility go together because if I get you a job, but you can't get there, then it don't make any difference. So we want to, we work those together. We have several strategies to help people get to these jobs that they don't have before, uh, that they didn't have before. Then you have community health and wellness, which is a wraparound. Um, and I want to make sure I said all these. Oh, youth services. Let me go youth services first. So youth services have historically, and not always, but a lot of them don't necessarily emphasize civic responsibility and relationship development with the people in your community. One of the reasons why our neighborhoods are called the hood in underserved communities is because neighbor is de-emphasized. And young people are not getting a, a significant understanding of the value of elders. And elders are living in a situation where they feel like oftentimes they, they're afraid to talk to the younger people. So that, that increases the gap. What we do with our youth development program, what we intend to do starting in January, is to put youth and elders that live in the community together, create dialogue and give them work that they can do together to create a relationship where there's accountability and uh, civic responsibility both taught in that. Get elders also in the school, right? Volunteering. If you're retired, in the school, why? The relationship is important. Over and over and over again, you'll hear me say that. Then you have community health and wellness, which is a wraparound mental health services and medical services. But the biggest key for that is a, is a, a template called putting the neighbor back in neighborhood. Why? Because neighboring is the most important element to eliminate the issues that we don't want to see. If people will neighbor, and this is study, this is not my, just out of my head. This is, this is, there's evidence-based, uh, you know, information to help you understand the significance of neighboring. Neighboring increases uh, better outcomes in mental health, not just blight and crime, but this is actually documented. So we want to bring these elements and um, and put them in a template that people can 
that we can codify and scale. So that template includes existing neighbor engagement, which means we want to put people in a space where they can share time, share ideas, and share a willingness to invest in making those ideas a reality. That's what healthy communities do. Share time, share ideas, and share a willingness to invest in making those ideas a reality. How do you do that? Yard parties. We incentivize people to invite their neighbors to their home. We're going to bring the food. We're going to bring the uh, uh, the music. Right. We're going to set up. We're going to give out information. But the idea is for the mingling to take place so that people have familiarity with each other. What we find in these neighborhoods is that when you isolate, that's when the shit hits the fan, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Isolation is where the kids are growing up at. They don't have responsibility to each other, so they're they're in these gaps. But when you close those gaps through the adult relationships, the kids get the benefits of that net because everybody knows each other. So you want existing neighbors to get engaged with the, with the neighbors that are... Um, Coming in. So the next part of that is new neighbor integration, not just letting people move in and you peep out the window, hope they ain't got no bad kids. No, that's not going to work. What you need to do is take them. We're going to we're going to arm you with a gift card, with a resource guide, with two garbage cans. Because the city, city still ain't started giving them out yet, I don't think. Yes, they have. They have? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we ain't got them over there where, where we at, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. but uh, uh, that's what we, we're, we're going to help w- with that. Mm-hmm. Whatever the resources that a new neighbor would need, right, we're going to help them to integrate in the community. When you get visited by three people that say, hey, how you doing? We just saw you move in. We know uh, that, uh, um, you know, we want you to get in, you know, get situated and so on and so forth. So here's some of the things that happen in the community, blah, 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 blah. Well, that creates an opportunity for accountability and responsibility. Most people are not going to be uh, upset with somebody coming to visit them when they're bringing gifts, right? So you give, give them that, then give them an invitation, your a list of phone numbers for everybody around them so that people understand Hey, we're connected. We're we're literally a community. If you're a drug dealer, you don't want that. So you're probably going to move or you're probably going to be hostile to the people. At some point, you'll get out because Mm -hmm. the light is keeping you from doing what you want to do. Right. The third thing thing is uh, youth engagement. I talked about that already, so I won't go over that again. But the fourth thing is proximity investment. Now, this is big. Proximity investment has to do with getting the homeowners or people who have resources, not just uh, their intellectual capital. We want that and we want their sweat equity. But some people have finances in these underserved communities like myself. We can put our equity together in our homes, start an LLC or some type of consortium and be able to acquire these properties around us. You can put modular homes on it. You can renovate homes on these, but you can control as a group, as a community, you can control the property around you. What that does in it, what we really need to understand about that is that it stops gentrification in its tracks. Literally can't do it because the the neighborhood owns the property. Now getting people to, you know, get in there. I said, it's, it's a little more complicated. All right. right. Hold but your thought. it would be good. Hold your thought. Go ahead. Get you some water. Mm-hmm. And tell me what's wrong with gentrification. Why, why is that a bad thing? Okay. So it's gen- actually a um, generic term. You know, mm-hmm. It's really another way of saying revitalization, but it has a twist to it. Black people have not generally had the resources to come in and buy up the properties so that they can redevelop. Hold on. Let me put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm saying. You're saying it stops gentrification, and you said it in such a manner is that gentr- 
as if gentrification was bad. Me, personally, nothing made me happier in Titusville than to see white ladies and white guys jogging because I knew, hey, we got some new neighbors. It's coming. Right. And and so if, if my people can't afford the home next to me, do I just let it go bad or do I let... So it's I'm not just always saying, that. It all, I yeah. got you. It's not always that people can't afford. Remember what I said about access earlier. Sometimes access is generally is about generational ignorance. So there's people that don't know that they could do better with the property that they have. There's people that are paying seven hundred dollars or seven hundred fifty dollars a month rent in North Titusville. Well, before UAB and uh, TDC and and all these other organizations started moving in and you know, basically facilitating the, the gentrification of that pro, of that uh, that area, um, there were people that would not sell those properties to the people that they were renting to. because And, and the whole neighborhood, you know what the neighborhood looked like over there for years, right? So um, those people, I would like to see those people get the opportunity first, inform them. If they don't want to acquire the properties, that's fine. You know, let, let it happen. But don't let ignorance be the thing that lets them miss out on an opportunity that really, in my mind, they deserve. So displacement is the is the uh, the bad part about it. You know, so if I got renters over there so that people can understand clearly, if I got renters over there paying seven hundred fifty dollars a month rent, I got gentrifiers coming in. They're going to make the property values go up. So the renters that I have over there are no longer going to be paying $750 a month rent. Now they got to pay $1,200. Well, they can't afford it. So now they got to move. So this has happened before. That's how Centerpoint ended up be, being populated by black people for the for the most part. right? Displacing, moved them out. You got to find somewhere to go. And that's not what we want to do. We want to take advantage of every opportunity that we can. And in my opinion, since Birmingham has been a terrorist state, and you know some people might even say you know, larger than that, uh, uh, we need we need to give these people these opportunities that they weren't afforded before. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. You know, it's like um, <laughs> I want safety. Yes, but all I'm getting at here is. I don't want my cynicism to take over. I want. I, I think it's important that no matter how great or small the effort that we get behind them all, and and it's going to take them all in order for us to lift our communities out of the state they're in. But they're just there just really are some intrinsic challenges that God is going to have to fix Mm -hmm. that that these programs just aren't. Can't fix. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't want to give too much life to that. I want to give life to what we're doing. And that's, and I felt like I was, I gave too much life to the negative in the last podcast, and I just don't want to do I think that. that. I think, though, that you express what a lot of people are feeling, right? Like when you say, hey, man, I like gentrification. You know, when I see white folks coming through the neighborhood, that's a perspective. I've mm-hmm. got to understand that that's not everybody's perspective. Sometimes when I see white people, like the ones that drive through my neighborhood and put 
put signs on my door and say, hey, I'll offer you cash for your house. He don't mean us no good. No. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not. Yeah, I'm not, right. yeah we so, on the same page. I'm yeah. not talking about um, people who come in, buy the properties, make them better, and price us out. Right. You know? right. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree with that. But when majority or other minority groups want to move in, I th- I think that's good. I I I don't. I just don't believe in concentrating poverty. I, it it doesn't work. When we look back at, in in a lot of times people talk about segregation and you know maybe we messed up with that. I think that because the 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 prob one of the problems that I see could be wrong. One of the problems that I see with your approach and approaches like them is if I'm 20-something, 30-something, and I got kids, right, and you get me, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get my mind right, I'm looking at community better, et cetera, et cetera, I want to move to Taren, not Taren, but I'm um, trustful now. Because th- that's where my kids can go. Like, my my problem, my thing is, we need to figure out a way to get our wealthy black people to move back in. Or wealthy anybody to move in. And that's just an opinion. I, it's just, you know. I would love it if they would. You know, my, my experience is, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is I truly believe yeah. that the rich are going to get richer. Yeah. And the poor are going to get poorer. That yeah. I, I believe that. Yeah. I, I, I think that the middle class is, is well, it's shrinking, but. That's because half of them are moving yeah. on up. Getting wealthy. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know. Yeah. And, excuse me. Quiet as it kept, Donald Trump's policies put me in a different tax bracket. <laughs> Real so, talk. Yeah. Real talk. I got poor yeah. with Joe. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I got back poor with Joe. You know, but. Uh, but this is, this is this is what uh, about that, though. So I don't, you know, I'm not touting these things as the but cure-all. Yeah. But, 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 but okay. this is what I do want to say. You know, I have I had a problem. Part of my problem in life was that I was impatient. I could not wait for things to develop after I planted them. Um, in in America, we have this culture, this popcorn culture. You know, we have microwaves. We got everything, everything now, everything now, everything now. Well, that's not real life. That's not seed time and harvest. In fact, most of the time, when you have a success with somebody and and they change because of something wonderful that you said, some wisdom that you gave, it's because somebody else had said a whole bunch of shit before you got there, right? So it's you you reaping where somebody else sowed. That's how this goes. I have no uh, mis, you know, uh, understandings about what I'm doing today. It's going to be beautiful 10 years from now, right? We're going to struggle through. There's going to be more homicides. There's going to be more robberies. There's going to be more children killed, right, in the earliest stages of this. That's That's what I expect. But I also expect that even if it takes after I die, 
These concepts are human development concepts. These are community development concepts. I didn't invent them. I just saw where they were, put them together, and here's what we can do to make things better. I'm a Christ believer, so ultimately I believe that only a minority of people are going to get it and the larger majority of people are going to be crazy as hell. Right now, that everybody ain't got to believe that, right? But there is no such thing as saving the world in my paradigm, right? You get your corner, you start to affect, and you hope that that spreads out. I moved, and I don't have a gazebo anymore. <laughs> but this summer... You got to come back over and hang out with me Ain't and, no um, <laughs> you know, spend some more time talking because, man, I love you. You're you're my brother. And um, I believe in you. I just don't believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank my brother, Jarrell Dave. Terrell Jones for joining us. I want to thank you all for listening. And as always, a huge shout out to Creed 63, i360news, and urbanham.com. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office.